You were listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 195. Six years sober, let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. I am six years sober as of today. It's a wonderful, even as I say that, I get these chills in my body. Um, I've been reliving my last day drinking for the last couple days. Um, I started an internship at a location, a, a men's treatment facility called His Way here in Huntsville. And last night I got the opportunity to stand up in front of them and introduce myself. And of course, my last day drinking was yesterday and my opportunity to speak in front of them was yesterday. So it was very visceral for me to stand in front of people and encourage them to embrace a life of sobriety and recovery on what was six years previously the lowest of my lows. You know, we all have heard the story of the shit tub and we know how difficult that was for me to crawl out of and look at myself in the mirror and realize that this is not how I saw my life playing out. And it was choose differently in that moment or succumb to death. It was whether death was going to come in that exact moment or whether it was just nearing the tightness in the chest and the, the numbness in the left arm and the constant nosebleeds and just the migraines. And just look at yourself in the mirror after, you know, going on a six month bender and it's not too hard to, it's not too hard to imagine that the body's just about ready to tap out on that one. And the surrealness of being in the position that I am now, not just, you know, with the career that I've chosen, but just in life in general and being able to embrace and really, it's going to be a tough episode. So I'm just letting you know, there might be some pauses. Um, you know, I don't want to use self-defeating language, but it can be difficult for me at times to just be happy with where I'm at in my life, to just embrace the simple days, or to allow the days that aren't so simple and that are a little bit more complicated to just wash off my back. Um, you know, life is 50-50. We've talked about that a lot on this show. Not every day is great. Not every day is going to be going to an amusement park or eating the most delicious funnel cake ever. Some days are a slog. They can bog you down. Um, you can pull out little gems from each day and say, this is the beauty of life. And it doesn't erase any of the difficulties you've gone through that day. It just makes those difficulties seem less difficult when you can just take a moment to, you know, kiss your partner or go on a nice walk or, you know, see the albino squirrel in the woods or watch the deer eat the corn all of these things that I, if I just stop long enough from the constant part of my brain that just wants to create and do, 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 if I just stop and I breathe into these moments, I realize that, you know, I'm well past that part of me that thinks I shouldn't even be here anymore. I am here and this is the life that I have created. And at the same time, I, I want to find blessings in each and every day that remind me of how much to cherish my life and how amazing each one of these breaths are that I get to have. 
because this could not be happening. None of this could be here. Or I could have gotten sober and taken a whole different path. And it's not, to me, when I say that I could have taken a whole different path, like this just seems to be where my life had always been leading me to. Get sober, learn about how awesome it is to be sober, learn a really bunch of really cool ways of embracing life and then teaching that to others. It's, uh, I guess my, I feel like my whole education has been <laughs> leading me to this point of the things I do with the online programs and the writing the books and, 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 and running the tribe and, and going to these centers. Like I've always enjoyed being able to contribute to other people's lives, holding some level of significance in other people's lives. I mean, those are very strong, strong human needs in me. And for the longest time, I almost felt, I almost felt like a guilt or a shame about wanting to turn this into a business and wanting to be important in other people's lives. It's there. I mean, this might sound ludicrous considering what I do, but there has absolutely been times in me where I've sat in the office and been like, should I desire as much as I do to play a significant role in other people's lives? Is there some neediness there? Is there some sort of childhood trauma, some adverse childhood experience that I haven't healed because of this desire to be important to others? Um, I'm not saying that I've figured all that out. <clears throat> I don't think that it's necessarily bad. I don't necessarily think that it should be the guiding energy of every single day. Uh, but that, that's Now I get philosophical and I don't know where to go with that. I just know that it matters to me. Like it, it matters to me that thousands upon thousands listen to this show and it helps them in some aspect of their lives. It matters to me that people have questions and concerns or emotional issues in their lives and, and they come into the tribe and we talk about these things or it matters to me that people come up to me after my speech last night at his way and, and shake my hand and say, thank you for being here and thank you for sharing that. And it, it matters to me that they all gathered around me afterwards and put their hands on my shoulders and prayed. And even though I'm not very religious, that, that felt so special it matters, and I'm not going to try to hide the fact that it does matter to me. Um, I think there's a part of every single human who wants to be significant in other people's lives that wants to know that at least once a day, our face, our name, something that we've done for them or something they've done for us, or in some way, shape, or another, that we pop into somebody else's head and they, they honor us and, and they love us and they care about us. I think it's what makes us human, um, that ability to have these visceral feelings and this cognitive thought around the importance of people in our lives. And if I had chosen differently on January 12th of 2017, you know, I would have just, I'd be a memory to people right now. And the things that we've shared with one another wouldn't have ever occurred. And that's, it's heartbreaking to think of it that way. Um, you know, my mother passed away on Valentine's Day of 2007, and it wasn't that her death broke me up so much, because with Crohn's and the way her body was deteriorating, death was inevitable. She wasn't going to live to, you know, 77 or whatever the average age is for a woman in the United States of America, but certainly I didn't expect her to die at 51. And so much of what I was hoping to experience with her before she passed away didn't come to fruition. It, 
It wasn't something I got to experience. And that was the thing that made me the most sad. I don't think that she'd still be alive now. Right. I mean, now she would be pushing into the 66, I think, and that we never saw 66 coming, but certainly 57 sounded like something that was attainable. And so when I think about how sad that broke me for not having her be there for some more time, I can't help but wonder what if I'd have passed away and what that would have broken up other people about and how would I have been remembered by them? as someone who lived a full and outstanding life and who made other people feel special and cherished? Um, Or was I the one who ghosted everyone for months on end while I went on a blackout bender and was found dead from a heart attack in his shit tub? Um, (laughs) I'm really glad that's not on my tombstone. Uh, I don't know what will be, but I definitely know found found dead in shit tub will not be (laughs) what will be on my tombstone. So I digress. I don't know where that whole part went, and I appreciate you all just listening to what it amounts to me, a very special and emotional day. Um, <laughs> I hope that you all get to experience many soberversaries and that you're able to embrace uh, whatever life you desire to create for yourself and that I can continue to bring you um, information and content that makes your life Uh, move more towards that all the way up. There's a reason I call my company all the way up. You know, my buddy Todd and I hiking the San Jacinto Mountain and him asking me the day before, you know, how high up do you want to go? And I was like, all the way up. We didn't come here not to hit the peak. And that became our chant up the mountain the entire time. Uh, Nothing can stop me all the way up. And I know that the song is not about climbing a mountain. If you go listen to it, it's definitely about sex. But we were able to <laughs> manipulate the lyrics to work for us that day. And, um, you know, I remember when Todd called me, he's like, you know, because of what you do with life coaching and everything, I really think that climbing this mountain would be good for you. I think that you would get something very special out of it. And I did. Not only did I get a company name, but I, I got this understanding that I could, you know, scale 6,000, 7,000 feet in a day and come back down and and enjoy that amazing experience for what it is. And and just stop the world outside for a little while to, you know, climb this mountain and prove something to myself. And I think so much of what our journeys are in sobriety and recovery is proving something to ourself. It's, I got chills for saying that, so I'm clearly touching on something inside of me, and hopefully this is touching something inside of you, that, you know, what other C going on, that how we externally represent the things that we are shifting and changing internally. There's so many infinite ways that that can be experienced by people outside of ourselves. That, and we have no control over that, right? No matter how much we read, no matter how much we change and grow, it doesn't necessarily mean that those people will recognize it, that it'll be something that they can pinpoint and say, wow, look at what you've done. And then other times they absolutely can say, wow, you are behaving completely different than you used to, and I'm really liking this version of you. Um, But either way, whether they recognize it or not, I think it's even more special for me and for you and all of us to recognize it within ourselves, this desire to shift and grow and change. You know, I have a difficulty settling into romantic relationships. And in particular, I'll just reference the one I'm currently in because 
of this anxious attachment level that um, I grew up creating within myself because of my mom's disease and my dad's workaholicness. It just felt like I was always trying to prove my worth as a child to my primary caregivers. It's created a very anxious attachment style in me. And it's something that I, I work on every single day, waking up with you know automatic negative thoughts and spiraling down on things that are no longer serving me and having arguments in my head with her about things that, that are trivial. That are, that are trivial. And so and I guess that part of saying all that is, you know, will she always recognize every single thing that I'm doing here in the office in order to come out of the office and be a more loving and respectful boyfriend? She may not, but I know I'm doing it. I know that it matters to me. I know that I'm putting in my work and it might take months and months for me to change certain behaviors because they're that programmed into my unconscious mind and NLP be damned. It's like, sometimes it's just like the unconscious mind is holding on to this one particular behavior so hard because it has protected us for so long. And then we've created hundreds, if not thousands of habits that further implant that this one particular behavior into our psyche. So when you go to take it apart and change it, there's a lot of like, was it? It's like trying to go into a room and remodel it and realizing there are a thousand steps I've got to do before I can get to the part where I'm actually like painting the crown molding and putting pictures up. It's like there are so many steps in order to get this room in order. But each and every day, I think, okay, well, what's something I can do today to get this room in better repair? And that's what I really love to encourage you all to do is realize that, yes, certain behaviors are just so ingrained. And it's like if you, it's like the, the behavior is the tree and all of the different habits and all of the different programs and all of the different sequences and strategies that you have created in order to have this one behavior grow as strong as it has in you, all of those are the roots underneath it. And there's just thousands of forks in that root system. And so it's going in there sometimes and, and cleaning up the toxicity in some of that root system. It could, it could take some time. But quitting isn't going to make it happen any faster. Not working on it and just ignoring it isn't going to change anything. So I just settle into this full-on you know, embracing of, okay, there are certain behaviors that... I know I can grow within me towards a more desirable state, ones that will fuel me, that will fuel the ones who love me, that will benefit the world at large. It's ecological. Let's shift this. And then I just go about it each and every day. Each and every day, there's another opportunity to embrace her or to show her she's special or show. And for you, it could be your partner or a sibling or anyone. It could be sometimes just yourself being able to look in that mirror and saying, I have self-worth. I am worthy. I deserve to be here and, and I am ready to earn the life that I believe I deserve. It's one of my favorite quotes is, I, I will earn the life I believe I deserve. I don't believe that it's inalienable that all humans have the most amazing, sp splendid, terrific life. I think that it's something that you have to earn. And then once you've worked really hard at it, then that part of you that believes you deserve it starts to get stronger and stronger. And then you start noticing where in your life you have already earned it. And I think that's another key point too, is that lots of times we have what we want. We have achieved what we desire. 
but this it's like innate part of the human brain that just wants to keep up leveling doesn't just stop and say, Oh my goodness, like a year ago, I couldn't even barely walk to, you know, let's just use an example. A year ago, somebody can't walk to the mailbox, and now here we, they are today running 5Ks. Sure, you're not running the Boston Marathon in record time, but you're running a 5K. And a year ago, you could barely walk to the mailbox. Like, stop and honor that for a moment and realize that your life is moving forward. Expectations of where you thought you'd be now as compared to then, that can really skew the gratitude we can have for the achievements we have achieved. And I do this to myself, and that's why I say it on the microphone, to make sure that I am being extremely aware of where in my life I'm not noticing things get better because of this, like this, all the way up, higher, 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 higher. It's like, the peak isn't going anywhere. The peak is there. And even when you get to the peak, you just see that there's another 10,000 mountains beyond it. There's always going to be another peak. So let's enjoy this one that we're on now because it's not like we're just going to stop on this journey. There isn't a destination to it other than, you know, for me, the crematorium. So let's freaking make it amazing. So I do have some show notes, and I don't know if I'm following them, and this is really going to be one of those rambling episodes, but I did have some things about what I learned in six years of sobriety and recovery, and here we are 17 minutes into it, and it is whatever it is. So if you're new to the show, you're probably thinking this this is just the ramblings of a madman, and I'm not going to disagree with you on that. Um, So what are some of the things I've learned? Um, Melissa, my therapist at Kaiser, she instilled in me integrity, humility, and gratitude. And I have the integrity of doing what is right, even when I know nobody is watching. That is extremely important to me, right? To be a, the different version of myself, right? Old Jesse would, you know, lie, cheat, and steal his way to the top. And this Jesse believes in hard work and openness and honesty and trustworthiness. And integrity for me is doing what is right, even when nobody is watching. Humility. Um, life is humbling. <laughs> Life is humbling sometimes, and whenever life humbles me, I make a you know a decision in that moment to be more present. You know, when I make little errors and you know forget to take out the trash or stop and get milk or you know half-ass a workout one day because my mind's in other places. You know, I just remind myself that life can be humbling and just be more present. Release this emotional spiraling that's going on in my brain, and just say, what can I do right now today to make my life better. Even if it's just this, you know what, turn back around and go back over to that bicep machine and just do another five curls and then you can leave. Some days it's just that simple. But at least I know that life is going to humble me and I can be more present or I can just get locked up in my brain, letting the emotional spiral go, making up conversations in my head, trying to solve 1,500 different scenarios that may never even come to light let alone even really be realistic. <laughs> Sometimes I just start making up conversations in my head and trying to solve them. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? Stop daydreaming this nonsensical scenario and focus on your actual life that's happening in front of you right this very moment. And then gratitude, you know, just being grateful. Um, it, it can be difficult sometimes to fully embrace the idea of being grateful. 
you know, it's, you know, six years ago, waking up in shit tub on Coenga Boulevard in Hollywood, California, you know, looking out the window with a homeless encampment there and people doing drugs and, and shitting on my front yard. It's, it's, you know, now I get to look out my window and there's deer and there's possums and raccoons and rabbits and birds. And it's just infinite beauty that's out here that is just so lovely to embrace. And, and six years ago, I looked out my window and I saw nothing but ugly. And when I looked in the mirror, I saw nothing but ugly. And now I get to look in the mirror and I may not be exactly where I want to be, having everything exactly the way that I had expected it to have been achieved. But I am sure, sure, hell of a lot further along than I was then. And probably a hell of a lot further along than I even thought I would be if I just stopped to actually have gratitude for where I am. One of my clients recently made a statement of, you know, just being happy with what's in front of me. And that can be tough for humans to just be happy with what's in front of us. Yeah, there's going to be this part, you know, social media has certainly allowed us to not only try to keep up with the Joneses who live next door, but keep up with the Joneses who live all around the world. And their life is, you know, curated on social media just as precisely as they want it to be. And being happy with what's in front of me. And saying, well, that's a really pretty place. Maybe I'll never see it in person. But you know what? I'm living my life. My ego still wants to move back to Los Angeles. My ego still wants to live in Vegas. My ego still wants to be in a city that never sleeps with crazy stuff always going on. But the real heart-centered version of me wants to be here and being a part of my family's life and creating this life with my girlfriend and building up relationships relationships in the community and fully embracing this this amazing you know community life this environment as a place that's really going to you know allow me to set some roots and really stabilize my life and the ego wants to say no must be living the crazy. But you know what? The ego is what got me into this position. So not going to be listening to the ego. I'm not going to say they're not. The ego still won't be talking. But I'm just going to try to listen a lot less. Um, let's see some of the other things that I have learned. Physical fitness and nutrition are imp- incredibly important to me. Um, it's it's what I, my mental health literally b- builds upon my physical fitness and my nutrition. Going in the gym and putting my body in a state of of stress, pushing things that are heavier than I normally push them. You know, back in the day, I'd always wanted to be able to lift my body weight on a bench press. And, you know, now I'm up in that 210 range, almost hitting 220. And I'm sitting over here, you know, at 190. So I've eclipsed it by like 30 pounds. And back in the day, I remember being, when I was 230 pounds, barely being able to lift 135 pounds. And so clearly, I have been able to grow in that way. And it's not an ego-driven exercise as much as it's a proof to self that if I am disciplined and I take steps each and every day towards something that it can be achieved. I literally used to think that I was just genetically incapable of growing muscles. I convinced myself of that in my 20s in order to justify the binge drinking and the cocaine and the hallucinogenic use, right? It's just like, oh, I'll never have muscles, so I might as well just party hardy. And and honestly, that's just, it was never true then and still not true now. And, you know, I I was at 159 pounds, um, 9% body fat on my 45th birthday. Here I am about a year and a half later up to 190, pushing a little bit more 
body fat, of course, but it's all part of this process that I said, you know, by the time I'm 50, could I be 180 to 190 pounds of, you know, of have a 190 pound body and be in single digit body fat again? And I knew it would take years. I'm older. I know about testosterone and all that stuff. But I said, you know what? If I've really focused on this and made this a project over the course of years, what could I actually achieve? And it's interesting. I do this with my career. I'll write a book knowing that it won't come to fruition for nine months. I'll I'll shoot podcast episodes knowing that, you know, the the benefit may not be fully realized till well down the road. And a lot of times I can say, well, I want more of an immediate effect with this working out. And that's not how muscles build. <laughs> that's not how nutrition works. Um, so it's really a testament to the discipline and the focus of, you know, of just the mundane. What is it you do each and every day in order to be able to achieve this life that you desire? There was a quote on the cell phone of the person who ultimately won the Heisman this year, Bryce Young, and it said something to the effect of, you know, never get bored with the consistent because it's within the consistent, that consistency, that true greatness arrives. And I've paraphrased the quote, but I just remember it's like, just don't get bored of the consistency because it's that consistency that allows you to have the all the way up life you desire. It's the consistency of day in and day out not drinking that is going to allow you to be able to stack days into weeks, months, years, and then you're going to look back one day and be like, I cannot believe I did this. How? And it's going to be that consistency that got you here. Uh, Let's see what else is in here. Emotional intelligence and maturity is definitely a journey. It is definitely a journey. I have read the Emotional Intelligence 2.0 book. I've done some of the exercises in there. I monitor, you know, my impulse control and I monitor, you know, my my angry surges and my emotional spiraling in my head. And it's a journey. It's a journey. There's going to be something new each and every day that tests. Somebody hits my car and it makes me very angry that somebody whacked the back into my car and caused $1,500 worth of damage and didn't leave any information. So now here comes that out of my pocket over the holiday season, and it sent me on a bit of a spiral for a couple hours. But you know what? I figured it out. I got the dent handled. I get my car back today on my six-year soberversary, no less. And, you know, yeah, that burned to have to spend that money, but I took care of my car because that was a promise I made to myself when I bought her, that she was my gift for finally being sober, that I get to have a nice vehicle because I won't be drinking and driving anymore, and that no matter what happens with that car, if something goes wrong with her, I'm going to fix her because that was the promise I made to myself. And the universe put me in a position when money was a bit tight and resources were a little bit more scarce to really prove to myself that I would take care of that car no matter what, even if it was just a dent that I could have let slide. And then three, six, nine months from now, rust could start showing up. And then what do I do? Let that slide? No. No. If something can be fixed now, I fix it. Or at least start laying down plans to fix it. And I think this is a really good strategy in your own life. Not everything can you just immediately take it to a shop and have it done in a week. Sometimes things will take weeks, if not months, for you to repair in your own life. But it's never going to get repaired if you don't start. And quitting won't make it happen any faster. Anxiety doesn't abate. Uh, what did I write in here? Anxiety doesn't abate. It certainly lessens, but it doesn't go away. <laughs> 
anxiety's there. Your brain's going to future pace. Your, fr- your brain is going to have that natural wiring from the old caveman days where it's like, must figure out all scenarios so I'm not surprised and end up stomped on by a woolly mammoth. We don't live in a woolly mammoth society anymore. It doesn't mean that the brain necessarily knows how to stop with the anxiety. So when I catch myself with the anxiety, you know, I just say, okay, what can I do about this thing that I am thinking about right now? And keep in mind too, and I talk about this in the NLP class, anxiety is really a message from your brain to remind you that something important is getting ready to happen in your life. And anxiety and excitement are felt along the same similar synapsis highway in your brain. So anxiety can often be uh, what you feel, what you think you're feeling, but it could actually be excitement. You could actually be excited for the court date to finally hear what's going to happen so you can at least move forward, fix whatever the judge says you need to fix and be able to move on with your life. Anxiety could be about your upcoming vacation because you're taking time off work and you're going to spend a bunch of money. But that's also excitement because you finally get to go to this one place you've always wanted to go to and experience new things. I get anxiety about walking away from my car or walking away from my house because back in the day, right, my safety and security were often met, were often tested because of my dealing of drugs. People would break into my house, people would break into my car, and they would try to find things that were valuable. So I do have this mechanism inside of me that's not a huge fan of walking away from things that are important to me. It can bring up some anxiety. But if I continue to stand by my car and don't leave my house, then I don't get the excitement of experiencing new things. So I just chirp the car three times. I make sure all the doors are locked, and I just trust that the universe isn't looking to make me learn a hard lesson today. And if it does, then I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out because i figured out so many other things. And that's how I can abate my anxiety. Yes, you can go 15 minutes past the moment that's creating this anxiety and see what it was you did to successfully complete it. Take that enthusiasm, that excitement, what your behaviors and bring them back to the present and start exuding that kind of behavior now. That absolutely works. And it's definitely something I will spend an hour teaching on in every one of my NLP classes for the rest of my life. And all these things absolutely work. When, it, when the nuts and bolts of it comes down to it, is there's a part of your brain that just has to say, do I want to be eaten alive by this anxiety or do I want to embrace the excitement of this moment? I would rather feel it as excitement, knowing that I have been able to figure out so many things from getting arrested 15, 20 times in, in my 20s to having my car break down on the side of the road to, you know, blacking out in Indonesia and waking up in Singapore. Like I have been able to survive and figure out so many things that I feel pretty confident that whatever the world throws my way, I may not want to deal with it. I may not necessarily want to have to spend the money to take care of it, but I know that I can figure it out. And that helps me, uh, you know, release a lot of this anxiety, just knowing that my natural ability to figure things out will kick in and you have it too. You didn't spend all those years in addiction, not figuring out how to take care of shit because the end game was always to get high or to use. So whatever was in the way of that, we absolutely figured out how to move out of the way of that because we knew on the other side of that was intoxication. Anger is something that can ebb and flow like happiness. I have that in the show notes as well. Um, Look, anger, happiness, they come and go. They come and go. You're going to hold on to that anger. Are you going to talk to the person about the anger? It can be difficult to have conversations about feelings. 
because you never know how the other person's going to hear it or embrace it. Anger comes and goes, right? Am I going to snap and say something I don't mean and then have to apologize five minutes later? Or am I just going to breathe into the moment and emotionally ground myself so that I can respond? Happiness comes and goes, right? Life is 50-50. Not everything's going to be amazing, right? I know that there's some people who are like, no, every single day should be amazing. Okay, you can latch onto that and have that expectation. And then whenever you get your health insurance bill and it's $450 a month instead of, you know, $100 a month like it was supposed to be, and now I'm sitting over here on the phone with, you know, Kaiser Permanente and all this other stuff, making all these phone calls for three hours trying to get this fixed. Sorry, that's not fun. That is not how I want to spend three hours of my day. But I know on the other side of that is feeling the comfort and security of having health insurance. So I can turn that into a happy moment. I know that if I put in the time and talk to the people with respect and kindness, we will get this figured out. And on the other side of it will be that safety and security of knowing I have health insurance and the happiness that comes from being able to live my life knowing that if I need medical help, that it's not going to bankrupt me, that I'm not going to get an $87,000 bill and be screwed. When I smashed my face at the bottom of the ocean back in May of 2019 at the beginning of the pandemic, right, that hospital bill was $27,000. And at the end of the day, I paid a $50 copay because of the amount of time I had spent on the phone making sure I had good health insurance and making sure that it was all up to date. I know the happiness of having to pay $50 and then getting a bill in the mail three weeks later saying that I that had I not had that insurance, it would have cost me $27,000. That would have crippled my finances. That would have drained me. But instead, I put in the time, I put in the effort, and on the other side of that is the happiness of knowing that because I was responsible, I took on that adulting 101 kind of stuff that my life got to keep flowing in the direction that it was going without being saddled by a $27,000 medical bill. That's the happiness we're looking for. We don't even realize that cool happiness is happening, right? It's like getting our driver's license and making sure it's not expired, making sure our plates are always current, making sure we have car insurance and we have fuel in the car. We do these things never realizing that had we not done them, the kind of problems and strife that it could bring because we've alleviated the potential problem and strife from our life. But we all have that friend, or hell, we have a memory of back in the day when we let our license plates go, and then I get pulled over, and now I'm dealing with all of that, and I got to go to court, and I got to do all this and that and the other. I know what it's like to not take care of things. So now I take care of things, and it may not make me happy in the moment. might be a little angry about the three-hour phone call with you know, Kaiser and all that other jazz, but at the end of it, I have made my life immeasurably easier, and I may never even know how much easier because I just took care of something the way it needed to be taken care of, and now that's over with. So embrace that however you hear it. Um, learning is great. Doing is better. I love to learn. Knowledge is, uh, you know, Jim Quick says on the Quick Brain, and I've had a chance to meet him before, and he says a lot whenever he speaks that you know, knowledge isn't power. It's, it's the action you take from the knowledge. And I'm totally paraphrasing that, but that's the way I hear it, right? It's like learning is great, but action is better. I love to learn like the whole idea that knowledge is power. Knowledge has the potential of power, but the true power comes from doing something with that knowledge. You can sit here and listen to this podcast until you're blue in the face. You can listen to all episodes 10 times over. But if you don't do anything with the knowledge, you don't, you don't start taking actionable steps in your life, then all you did was just listen to me. 
I have heard back from so many of you that you listen with a pen and a pad and you take notes and you go off and you talk about this with somebody you care about, somebody you love, maybe it's your partner. There's, there's a way you take this information and you go off and you spread it around in your life. That's the action. Doing is better. I love learning, but if there's no doing from the learning, then what are you really accomplishing? Give somebody a hammer, teach them how to turn it into a house. And if all they do is just hold the hammer and look down at all the wood and all the nails, they don't have shelter at the end of the day. You've got to do something with that hammer. Um, let's see what else is in here. Things don't get better without effort. They just don't. Things take effort. Things, things take time. I've got some side um, bullets in here. Communication in relationships. Effort. Communication. It's effort. You're dealing with another human who has their own way of interpreting the world. Their five senses are feeding them their own, you know, information. They're running it through their own filters and processes, and it's kicking out whatever it kicks out into their internal representation. It's creating all these pictures in their mind. So you might be sitting there watching a TV show, and you're having a blast, and somebody next to you is super angry, and it's got nothing to do with you or anything else, but they're just having a whole different experience. And that's where communication comes in. Be like, okay, well, what are you experiencing right now? What is it you would prefer to be experiencing? What is it I can do to help you experience that? What is it that you can do to help yourself experience that? And what is our next smallest step that we can take towards achieving this desire within you? If you go to jessemogul.com forward slash, and I think it's connection, um, or if you just go to my website, jessemogul.com, there's a connection book I made. It's a free PDF. It's like super short. It's only like 30 pages, but most of it's like really big pictures and not very many words, but it walks you through how to handle any kind of argument with a fi- simple five-step process. And then at the end of it, there's three, three questions to solidify the connection. You know, what is it you, what is it you like that I'm doing? What would you like me to stop doing? What would you like me to start doing? And these are some powerful questions to ask one another in a relationship because it really uh, gets you on the same page with this other person and it can be super beneficial. That's a free resource. You can go to my stand store links in the show notes. Um, the, the ebook is also up there and you can easily go ahead and grab that for yourself. Stand store is easiest way to do it, honestly. Um, so I'd recommend you go that way. But if you have, if you're looking for ways to no longer argue, um, and for ways to solidify and strengthen your relationship, that ebook is absolutely a way to help with your communication in your relationships because everybody's having their own experience of life. And this is where fear of rejection can start to come in. Oftentimes we don't speak our truth. We don't ask for what we want because of a fear of rejection. We're not necessarily always going to get it the way we want it, but if we never ask for it, we can't even get it sort of kind of the way we want it. You got to move through that fear of rejection and just say, okay, this person's going to have their own way of wanting to live their life, but I can at least ask, right? You know, you, you don't know the answer is no until you've asked, because what if the answer is actually yes, right? The worst case scenario is they say no, and you have to feel a feeling. Well, feelings are what we're learning to feel. Let's process the negative, undesirable emotions, Right, but let's not be so afraid of the negative, undesirable emotions that we don't even try to get to the amazing, positive, desirable emotions. You know, and we can have confusion about the next steps. And that's where I hope I provided a lot of information and value for you. But any step is better than no step, is what I often like to say. I would rather be doing something towards moving myself forward than nothing. Because it's in that action of taking the next step that different scenarios begin to reveal themselves. 
All right, and then you can make a choice on the next step or the next step. But you can't make the choice on any further steps if you don't take the first step. Um, this is like with getting sober, right? Do we know exactly what that journey was going to be like? We just knew that if we continued to use any kind of substance that intoxicated us, our lives were fucked. So we may have had confusions about the next steps, or the next step could have been like, let's go to AA, let's go to treatment, let's go to refuge. It could have been that simple, but then it's like, okay, well, now I'm here. Now what do I do? Great. But if you had never walked into that room, you wouldn't even be able to ask yourself, now what? You'd still be sitting at home with a bottle of vodka in between your legs and a pack of smokes, just drinking your life away. But you made the choice to walk into that room, and now you get a whole nother series of steps to choose from. But you never would have gotten those steps to choose from if you just stayed where you're at. So if you have confusions about the next step, just be decisive and courageous and take action in that moment. Where that leads you, who knows? But it'll be presumably way better than just sitting where you're sitting, thinking it's just magically going to get better. Not everyone will be enthusiastic about personal growth and development as we are. I remind myself of that regularly. I can go to a networking meeting and people can start spewing out things that are going on in their life. And I can, I've got 10 strategies in my head for how they could take the smallest next step forward on that. And if I try to get them, you know, as enthusiastic about personal growth and development as me, I can get them lost in the sauce. I start talking about endorphins and dopamine and decisions and anger and all this other stuff. And before I know, it's like their eyes just glass over. Got to meet them where they're at. Not everyone's going to be as enthusiastic, but if we just temper our enthusiasm sometimes and just introduce them to it in a way that we feel is going to be the most amicable by their conscious and their unconscious mind, we can start to slowly but surely help them integrate into what it is we're experiencing. They're not going to necessarily you know, be super into all of this stuff. We chose sobriety and recovery. It was our lives that we had determined were unmanageable, that were no longer being served by, by you know, taking in this poison. We're the ones who chose this. They were doing whatever they were doing. And yes, <laughs> there's a good chance that as we get deeper and deeper into our sobriety and recovery, we start looking around and start being like, man, if all these people would just listen to Jesse's show, the world would be a better place. Uh, and maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But we do know that there's part of us that sees other people struggling with what we once were, or that at least we're now moving forward on. And we're just like, oh, man, if they would just listen to my advice, all things would be better. And that may be true, but the human brain doesn't like to be told what to do. It wants to make its own decisions. So we want to encourage them and ask them questions and sort of move them along the journey in their way. And at some point, you will, they'll come too. They'll figure it out or they won't. Um, there's a couple in the tribe right now, and, and and the wife had gotten sober a year before the husband, and I can only imagine how difficult that must have been for her to be going through her sobriety journey with a person who was still actively using lots of alcohol and other substances, and, and she's over here looking to grow and going to meetings and doing therapy and all this stuff, and he's still over here being the same version of himself. Now, he's sober now, and he's on this path with her, you know, similarly and different, of course, because we're all humans and we all have our own journey, but they're also doing it as a couple. And I personally think that how powerful that must be to have a confidant, you know, who lays down beside you each and every night, who, who's also looking to move their life all the way up. 
right? Those are right there. You've got a couple who is enthusiastic about personal growth and development with one another. Like talk about a powerful mechanism for change when you're both doing it and you're both guiding the children differently now because of this new way of looking at life. So while not everyone's going to be super charged up about what it is that you're learning, there will be those who will come around. It might take them a year. What if she'd given up and said, you know what, never mind. She did get to her breaking point. He did hit a rock bottom and he did, he did come out of it, but he could have just as easily chosen not to because he had chosen not to for years prior. But you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, no more. What can I do right now to make this change? He'd already been modeled certain behaviors by watching her for a year. So he's like, okay, well, let me start to follow some of that. Enter the Jesse Mogul show and you know, the, from sobriety to recovery podcast and the tribe and so much has changed. So there is that enthusiasm within their home. But you might have a parent or a sibling or a child or a friend who's just like, okay, great, you're into all this self-help development stuff. Can we just sit here and talk about yada, yada, yada? Meet them where they're at. They are going to notice the changes and the shifts. I cannot tell you how many friends of mine have contacted me and been like, I am sober now because I've been watching what you do. I've been listening to your show. And I'm like, and, you know, it's like, wow, look what he's done. We used to get hardcore fucked up together, and now we're sober together. And I'm like, hallelujah. I didn't make them do that. I just kept being me and allowed those who were attracted to me to be even more attracted to what I was doing and saying. They came along for the ride at whatever speed, whatever pace, whatever tempo they ultimately chose was the perfect speed, pace, and tempo for them. Trying to corral someone and drag them along is only going to cause them to fight harder. And that little child in our head is only going to get stronger and stronger, fighting and pushing back. You've got to just ease them into this stuff. Cravings dissipate, but thoughts and drinking and using do not. So I wrote this out because I do have thoughts about drinking and using. I make jokes about it in some of my threads with some of my old college buddies. Right? That's not me anymore. I'm not going to sit down in front of a plate of blow. I'm not going to sit in front of a keg and try to see how long I can do keg stands. Like That life is gone. Right? I'm not doing that stuff anymore. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I, from time to time, don't get cravings. When I, when I met the head of the Salvation Army here in Huntsville, he said something that really was very poignant, so I'll share it with you. And, and he said, you know, sometimes I will turn to my, you know, coworkers, and they, they work on, they have a treatment center in there, and so that's what they focus on, and that's what they help other people do. And he's like, he said, you know, there have been times where I've said this. He goes, um, if today were a drinking day, I'd be messed up. And I remember hearing that and at first being like, huh, is that, is that sliding into this idea that, you know, drinking's good or there is some benefit towards drinking? And we, we know that long term, the benefits of drinking are not good. It will destroy our body, our mind, our soul. But he was very poignant and it, and it made a lot of impact on me. And I've been able to say it since then and not have some weird feeling about it that, you know what, today was just one of those days where if it was a drinking day, I'd be blacked out. And it's actually empowering to say that. And I think that's why he shared it with me, because it is very empowering to know that, man, if today were a drinking day, I'd be blacked out. But I'm not. But today was one of those hard days. Today is absolutely one of those days where I would have blacked myself out. But you know what? Instead, I'm going to bed sober. I'm waking up without a hangover. And I'm figuring it out. And that's just something that I, I really enjoy. It's like, oh, man, today were a drinking day. 
Sometimes I just say that, man, today we're a drinking day. All right. It's the cravings. Cravings are attached to anchors. They're triggered off by something in your past that reminds you that back in the day when things like this happened, similarly, we would drink or use drugs. So I realized that all it is is just an anchor point. It's just a trigger that went off. It was just a cue. Something activated in my brain. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. Well, I don't drink. I don't use drugs anymore. So how can I solve this in a different way? Um, And that's, you know, again, those thoughts about drinking and using, they're they're there. It was 22 years of my life. You know, it'd be like, you know, living on an island for 22 years and then moving to the city and expecting that you're never going to think about the island again. The island's there, right? That's that, that was my past. I'm now living in this city in this made up metaphor, right? Made this made up analogy. You know, lived on an island for 22 years, moved to the city. Okie dokie. I'm still going to think about the island. There's still going to be parts of that island that I, I don't necessarily hate, but who I was on that island is no longer who I am now. I live in the city. Things are different. So having these thoughts about drinking and using, I don't think that they're negative. I'm just very mindful not to romanticize them, make them up to be something that they more than they actually were. Sure, at times I was trying to enhance. Sometimes I was trying to cope. Sometimes I was just trying to socialize. But either way, I have now figured out ways of enhancing experiences, coping with my emotions, socializing in a way that doesn't require me to be intoxicated. And this is where, you know, being humbled by the universe and allowing life to just be present sometimes, you know, yeah, I get anxiety when I go to social functions. I get anxiety when somebody says, hey, can you stand up and tell us about your company for 60 seconds? Some anxiety rushes through me, but I also embrace it as the excitement of being able to explain to people what it is I do, of being able to talk to people about what it is I help others achieve. That's powerful to me. So when I think about thoughts when I have these thoughts about drinking and using, I realize that that's, that's all they are is thoughts. 50,000 thoughts can float through your head on any given day. And with them are you know 50,000 feelings attached to them as well. Just let them float down the river and over the side of the waterfall. It is whatever it is. A thought is nothing but something. It is like wind. It's like a leaf flowing in front of you. You don't have to grab that leaf out of the air and hold on to it tight and say, I'm never letting this leaf go. You can just be like, oh, If today were a drinking day, I'd be blacked out. But you know what? It's not. So what am I going to do instead? Releasing the leaf and deciding that, you know what? Here's another 49,999 leaves flying by me. Which one of these do I want to, to, to focus on now? Because there are plenty of other things that I could be thinking about. So let the thought of drinking and using just float down the river and over the waterfall. Happiness is an inside game. It's, it is. Right? You can buy a fancy watch, you can buy a fancy car, you can have these dreams of money and wealth and love and all this other stuff. But inside, it's all about being happy with what it is that you're creating for yourself. I can look at my bank account sometimes and be disappointed. I can look across the dining room table sometimes and not be thrilled with the way things are playing out. I can look at my body in the mirror and be like, not, not where I want to be. But you know what? I know that I'm on my journey. I know that each and every day I'm doing something to move myself forward so that I can achieve the financial freedom that I want, the loving, you know, communicative relationship I want, the strong and and stable body that I want. I know that I'm working on these things, right? And so I can I can evoke happiness within me just knowing that at least I'm taking a step forward each and every day. Some steps are bigger than others, and some days lots of steps are taken. And some days it feels like I'm taking steps back. But I know that over the course of time, the steps are always moving me forwards. 
that's 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 my embracing of the happiness and (laughs) i can't even tell you how much joy i have with the tribe and our voxer chat and you know some days when i'm when i'm struggling and and it's not you know the happiest day for me it's life is 50 50 i can go in there and i can listen to other people talk about what's going on in their lives and we can start to communicate and it's like in that moment i get to be connecting with other people on a journey of sobriety and recovery and every day we're in there there's not a day that goes by that something's not said by someone and so every single day there's an opportunity to connect and that alone can bring me happiness because there's not always a refuge meeting there's not always a you know a 12 step meeting available to us there's not always a therapist on call ready to take us every single day you know a sponsor might not be able to pick up the phone all the time um but, you know, having that chat, knowing that if I put something in there, I'm going to get a response later on in the day um, that elicits some happiness in me. And I, even now, as I describe it, it makes me smile. So um, it matters. And, you know, find that level of happiness for yourself. What is something you can do right now to evoke happiness? Sometimes it's five push ups, sometimes it's an Oreo. Just depends on my mood. <laughs> And a lot of the times, and again, those are external things. I could just be doing it in my office, sitting down and just looking out at the forest and just being happy that I'm alive, right? That's, let's just be happy we're alive. That's powerful because we all have a picture in our mind of us blacked out and wasted, right? And the body almost ready to say, that's it, I'm done, tap out. And we didn't. So um, embrace the happiness of that. If nothing else, there's the happiness of knowing that today you get another shot at whatever it is you're shooting at. Contribution is fuel for me. I said this at the beginning of the show. I'll say it now. Contribution matters. I, I love to contribute. It is very important to me. I want to help and, and I want to affect the lives of millions of people. It, it is an internal driver for me. The passion to learn more about my sobriety and recovery. What happened to me as a child that led me into being intrigued by addiction. Uh, what happened to me in my teens and 20s and 30s that kept the addiction going, what's going on inside my brain that's that's holding me back. All of these things matter to me. It became a super-duper passion. I didn't get into neuro-linguistic programming think one day I would teach it. I got into it because somebody said, this will help you overcome trauma. This will help you to have memories that are more powerful and strong and desirable. You got a memory of being left at school when you were six years old. How about we see that a different way? It doesn't change the fact that you were still left at school for three hours when you were six years old, but you can experience it a different way now so it becomes something that's powerful and evokes desirable emotions in you instead of something that weakens you and and, and evokes undesirable emotions within you. It's not lying to yourself. It's just choosing to see it from a different perspective. And as I began to learn all of this stuff and talk about it to more of my inner circle and with other people in addiction recovery, I realized, wow, this is some really, really powerful information. I should start to share it. And doing a podcast to me was the path of least resistance. And here we are four years later, almost 200 episodes in, and I have seen the benefits that this has had in your life. And it just now what was once a passion has turned into my purpose. And my purpose might change in five years. Right now it is what it is. And I've been told that, you know, purposes can grow and evolve with a person. But being a contributor to other people's lives and helping them, you know, move all the way up their own mountain, that will be the core of my purpose for the rest of my life. How I display it to the public world might shift and change. But my desire 
to contribute and be significant in other people's growth and on their journeys, that I do not see dissipating. That I do not see fading away. And um, I will leave on this uh, because I, I put it in my notes, and I think after all this other stuff, I'm not sure if lapse and relapse necessarily fit in perfectly at the end here. But I will say this because I have I've gotten some contacts from people who've had some lapses recently, and it breaks my heart for them knowing how much effort they put in to get to 59 days or to get to 117 days or to, to get to five months. There's going to be some bumps along in the road. I tried to quit tens and tens and tens of times, and it didn't stick. My last, last time was just my last, last time, but it wasn't my first, last time. And you might have a lapse. You might fall back into some old behaviors for a few days. And it won't just necessarily be with drinking. Some days you can just allow anger to take you over. And for three or four days, you're just angry and you're just stewing and it's just uncomfortable. Right? We have these lapses in judgment. Right? But it is a choice to whether it's going to become a relapse. And we talked about this on previous episodes and I will be talking about it again in the future. But a lapse is like a stumble. A relapse is a complete jumping off the cliff and going back to your previous behaviors and potentially even deeper and more worrisome and worse into your previous behaviors. Having a couple days of drinking and then saying, okay, let's get back to the meetings, let's get back to the program, let's get back to the steps, let's get back to the manual, that's different than just completely turning your back on everything that you've done and just diving headfirst back into your old life. There is a huge difference. And honestly, I believe that once you have learned a substantial amount, I'll take away the word substantial. Once you have started to learn ways of living a life through sobriety and recovery, you don't ever get to go back to not having that knowledge. You don't get to unring that bell. A complete relapse to who you were before you ever tried sobriety and recovery is damn near impossible because you have learned things along the way. Even if it was only 59 days or 212 days, you learned things along the way. So you're not going back to that person you were on day zero, back 59 days ago. It's not possible. You have learned so many things. So even if you go back to the bottle, you go back to the drugs for a little while, regardless of who this is hidden home or not with, you know somewhere in your life, even with anger or resentment or gossip or some negative emotion, right? you might lapse and go back to some of that behavior, but catching yourself, making apologies where necessary, especially to yourself and saying, okay, that's not how I would, that is definitely not how I wanted to behave, but it happened. I'm a human. I have 50, 50 days, some are up, some are down. There's an ebb, there's a flow. What can I do right now to show myself that I am still moving forward, that who I was then is not who I am now. And it's not. Who you were in the past is not who you are today. And some people might try to hold you back and say, nope, you're still the same person. And you're, you might be guided by similar values and principles, morals, ethics, beliefs, opinions, but it doesn't mean that you are exactly the same person. Like No man stands in the same river twice because the man is different and the river is different. You might go stand in the same spot to catch fish each and every day, but you're different and the river's different. You've never, you're never, ever, ever going to be able to stand in the same river twice. You will always be changing. So yes, you might lapse. And knowing that, hey, you know, a couple days back on the bottle does not a relapse make. Completely turning your back on everything that you've learned and going, you know, headfirst back into it and getting fired from another job and end up back in prison, right? Okay, 
those are absolutely the signs and probably would be very wisely labeled as a relapse. But honestly, what most of us are experiencing is a lapse. And you might relapse, quote unquote, and go back into the drinking for three or six months. But again, you don't ever forget what you learned. Even if it was just a brief moment of sobriety, you don't forget what you've learned. So have strength within yourself. If you've caught yourself, you know, slipping up, you stumbled a little bit, right? You can, you can catch your feet, you can catch yourself, and you can get yourself going back forward again. You clearly have an internal desire to do this or you would not have ever even started it. You would have stayed in pre-contemplation for the rest of your life. But contemplation and planning came into play. And next thing you know, you're taking action. And if you're not maintaining it, then you're lapsing. If you're not, if you're, if you're not you're right, that's, what, that's always the fifth stage. It's either maintenance or relapse. But again, I will have a debate with whether relapse should be the word we're using because sometimes it's just a stumble. It doesn't have to become this monumental, oh my God. Yeah, you have to reset your counter back to day one, but you're not resetting your knowledge. You're not resetting your experiences. You're not resetting the growth that you made. You just took a different fork in the road, but it doesn't change that you grew during that previous path. Embrace what you learned, figure out what you could have done more desirably that led you to the lapse, and then correct that. But don't look in the mirror and think that you're a failure just because you stumbled. If that was the mentality we had when we were children, the first time we got up to walk and fell down, we would have just stayed crawling. Just get yourself back up, dust yourself off, and know that there isn't all the way up life ahead if you can embrace consistency and the discipline and know that each and every day you are human. Good, bad, right, wrong, whatever it might be. These are just labels. You are you. And internally, inside of yourself, you know something better is available to you. You know something better is available to you, or you would not be listening to this show. Picture that new, amazing version of yourself, and then reverse engineer it. What are you doing in order to achieve this high-level picture of yourself inside your own head? Reverse engineer that. Figure out what you can do today to make one step forward. It could be one inch or six feet. It could be just the most minicule of steps or it could be a broad jump. But either way, there is something you can do today. And I encourage you to do that for yourself. And what other people see and how they experience it, that's on them. But you can know looking in the mirror that today was the day to start making that change. And today is the day to continue making that change. And every day after. My end zone is the crematorium. And I'm hoping that I've not (laughs) damaged my body so much that I don't get to live to be 80 or 90. I would embrace all of that. And I can't wait to see who I turn out to be in the future. But for today, I'm focused on me and what I can do today for me. And obviously for y'all. And six years sober, has it's been amazing. It is the amazingness of life when it's just embraced as an experience that it is. It is just the experience that it is. And I'm blessed to be able to share it with you. So thank you for being along my journey and my adventure because you're here. I look forward to the next year and three and six. Um, I look forward to episode 400. (laughs) 
I guess I got to get to 200 first, but, um, you know, I look forward to Armin Van Buren is up in like the 1100s of his podcast. It's a state of trance. I love it. I'm like, hmm, I wonder what episode 1100 of the From Sobriety to Recovery show will be like. Um, I have no idea, but I look forward to where life is taking me. And I hope you're looking forward to where your life is taking you. Thank you so much for being alive and being a part of this. I am honored to have you in the From Sobriety to Recovery tribe. And if you'd like to get into an even smaller tribe where you can actually talk with us, that's available to you as well. jessemogul.com forward slash the hub. It is one of the most amazing things that I have created um, in my own sobriety and recovery. And the support I get there is phenomenal. And for all of you listening, thank you. My love to you is endearing and enduring. All right, my friends. Um, <laughs> blessed be. Thank you, Jesse, for January 12th in 2017. Um, the shit tub is not <laughs> a great place to wake up, but I'll tell you what, couldn't have been a better rock bottom. All right, my friends. Inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of my life because I wake up sober. And so is yours. Shout out to Sunshine. Love you, Ron. You were the first person I ever told. You were the very first person I told today, six years ago. You were the only person who knew for months. And even though you're not here on earth with us anymore, I know that you're out there smiling down, brother. Smiling down, brother. Glow on, my friends. See you next week. Bye-bye.